A collection of campfire stories. Story 1. A weekend I'll never forget or understand this is a bit of a long read but I wanted to write it so here you go. Hey. My name is Will. Now however you decide to take this, that's your choice. To be honest I'm not sure how I feel about this. Anyways if you're reading this then you're reading one if not the most horrifying moments of my life that I still can't understand. I've never been a firm believer in the supernatural, urban legends, or fairy tales. I grew up in a rather non-religious house. But after what happened that weekend, I'm not sure what I believe and have been thinking about it pretty heavily ever since. But to give some context to the story, my friend Jane just recently lost her grandparents which she didn't ever see often. But they gave her their lakeside log cabin which was a good 5 hours drive from our campus. She decided to check it out and stay there for a weekend. So she invited me and our other friend Tom, and do whatever the hell three college juniors would find to do there to stay entertained. Tom and I rode our way to the cabin. Jane was already there. She was dropped off by her parents since her car was under repair. Nothing too out of the ordinary. I've realized just how in the middle of nowhere the cabin was. The place seemed to be at least an hour from any civilization. On the way there me and Tom had many different conversations. But we somehow managed to get on the topic of the paranormal and possessions. I don't remember too much of that conversation. But it did end up talking about doppelgangers. By the time we got to the cabin it was one of those cliche dreary summer nights. It was probably about 11ish. And well, the cabin was surprisingly new looking and a lot bigger than I thought it would be. To be honest the place looked like a really great, calm and quiet place for a retirement. We just got settled in and headed to our rooms. However there were only two bedrooms in the cabin so I had the couch in the living room, which had this big window view to the balcony and lake. Have you ever had that moment when it's so quiet that you start to hear things you never noticed before? Sounds that are more subtle or further away than the noises you normally hear but don't bother. Well, that was me on that couch for who knows how long. I noticed every creak in the cabin. There was no ventilation in the cabin. And eventually started hearing the noises from the woods outside. Since the window was open the crack. I wouldn't say the couch was uncomfortable. I would say the eerie silence was a big factor why I couldn't sleep since I'm used to the bustling streets of the suburban apartments. But something just didn't feel right. I kept looking out the window laying on the couch. All I could really see was the silhouettes of the woods. Maybe a squirrel would skirt by the balcony or a bird would fly through the trees. But eventually I saw a doe walk onto the balcony. It was the most exciting thing I saw over the last few hours so of course my eyes focused on that. However the doe walked like it had a broken leg or something. And was incredibly thin. It was probably just a malnourished doe that got attacked. Again I could only really see its silhouette so that's all I could tell from it. The doe stood at the window for a long time considering how skittish deer are. Maybe it smelled food or was wondering if I was a predator. Eventually the doe dashed off in its limp and after that I managed to fall asleep. The next morning we all woke up drowsy. Turns out everyone else had trouble sleeping. Jane said she just heard a lot of forest animals. However Tom didn't seem to want to talk about it. The first half of the day went pretty slow. We played a couple card games tried to get the TV in the living room to work, and a couple other things. In the afternoon we decided to get the canoe we had at the cabin and go fishing in the lake. We didn't plan on eating any catches. We had plenty of food in the cabin. 
We didn't have the most luck. A few small fish here and there. As it was getting late Jane ended up pulling up a shoe. Which may not seem that weird. But it was a formal dress shoe with a sock still in it and didn't seem worn down at all by the water. I also couldn't help but notice it looked familiar. We got back to the cabin and decided we were gonna hike tomorrow. We thought it'd be fun to explore. Sleep went relatively similar to the night before. Wasn't able to fall asleep quickly and was eerily quiet. Almost a repeat of the previous night. However the same doe came back. The same walk. The same skinny stature. Yet. It still felt different. Not sure why it felt different or how. Yet it did. After what seemed like an hour of looking at the doe while it looked right back. It felt like I wasn't alone. It was then I noticed I was hearing the most deranged footsteps in the living room. I remember those steps playing in my head vividly. It was unpredictable in both speed and heaviness. I would hear two quick soft taps then. Bam a sound almost like a person fell down the stairs. Once I started noticing the footsteps, I realized the doe was gone. Nowhere to be seen. I tried to move but I couldn't. After the suspense of the steps getting closer for a few seconds, I heard a scream. It was Jane. After Jane started screaming, the feeling and sounds disappeared. I looked over to see what she was looking at, and it made me almost piss my pants. Every single candle in the kitchen was burning brightly, and in the middle was my other clothes on a scratched out symbol on the floor. That almost proves that there was something in the living room, and I wasn't just hearing things. Me and Jane looked at each other with the look that said we need to get Tom and get the hell out of here. Neither of us believed what was happening, but we knew that we didn't want to find out. We rushed to Tom's room to wake him up, but we wouldn't get a response. So we let ourselves in and we found only things worse. It was the doe or what I thought was a doe. It was some humanoid abomination with extremely long and spindly limbs. The thing was skinny enough it was contorted against its bones. A new kind of definition of skin and bones. And it had Tom's face. It didn't even run towards us when it saw us. It stood up on its hind legs standing a good eight and a half feet tall and slowly and limped towards us. Every other step it took it looked like it broke a bone in its legs. The thing looked in utter pain. Me and Jane ran out of the room. We didn't know what to do since Tom's car was the only way out and his keys were obviously in that room. There was obviously no way we could outrun it since I've seen it run like a deer. So we found whatever we could use as some kind of weapon. After we found a couple knives and a baseball bat we heard Tom talking guys what are you screaming about? It's the middle of the night. You guys scared me to fall out of the bed. I think I broke my arm. I never had a bigger chill down my spine. Tom wasn't in the room. It was just that thing. By this point I've already started to break down. Let alone Jane was in full tears. We gained up the courage to try and get Tom's keys. We opened the door and... Nothing. The window was busted open. Tom's clothes were all over the floor and dried blood all over. We grabbed the keys and rushed to the car and locked the doors and thought. Is Tom still around here somewhere? Is that thing still here? Should we just leave and risk leaving Tom to die if he's still alive here? We decided to try and look for him by driving the car around but... Nothing. We decided to just leave at that point. Once we left the driveway the thing ran into the car. And we just kept driving. Eventually we got to the cities. A few months after that a story popped up in the news about a town down the river reporting their water tasting weird. And they found a body floating in the water. Tom's body. Or what was left of him. 
the police tried to list it off as a bear attack, or an unsolved murder. It has been years since that weekend. Jane went on to become a surgeon and we don't really talk anymore. I can't help but think about that weekend. That creature, Tom. I wonder how long that thing was replacing Tom. And when there were those candles and my clothes in the kitchen makes me think that maybe I was next. I don't know where that thing came from or where it went. I've thought about doppelgangers, gin, wendigus, skinwalkers, and even the rake. To be honest, I don't think I'll ever know what the answers to my questions are. And I think it might be better off to just forget it ever happened. Thank you for reading my horror story. It's my first one so sorry if it's writing may be bad. English is my first and only language but I still suck at it so sorry if there's bad grammar the story is completely made up. I guess I should say my inspirations. The Mandela Catalog. Are you scared? And maybe a few other things I can't think of. Story 2. The monk story a man is driving down a desert road on a business trip he has not seen another car for hours. When his car breaks down near a monastery so he knock on the wooden door of the monastery and a monk answers. The man tells the monk what happened and the monks are very understanding they let the man sleep there. They feed him and they even fix his car. But during the night the man hears a strange sound too strange to describe. It sounds like it is coming from deep within the old stone walls of the monastery. In the morning he asks one of the monks what the sound was but the monk said. We cannot tell you you're not a monk so the man says thank to all the monks and leaves feeling very grateful but still wondering what the sound was. Two years later the man is traveling on the same road when his car breaks down at the same spot. Again he tells the monks what happens and they let him sleep there. They feed him and they even fix his car. During the night again he hears that sound again he looks out his window and sees the monks standing around his car doing a strange ritual. In the morning he asks one of the monks what the sound was but he simply replies we cannot tell you you're not a monk. So the man says thank you to the monks and leaves feeling grateful still but wondering even more what the sound was. Two years later he is traveling on the same road when his car breaks down again. He asks the monks for help and they feed him. They let him sleep there. And they even fix his car. During the night he stills hears that sound. In the morning he asks one of the monks what the sound was but he still replies we cannot tell you're not a monk so the man asks what do I have to do to become a monk the monk then replies you must count every blade of grass on every field on earth then you must count every grain of sand on every beach on earth and you must make this journey on foot. So the man leaves the monastery and begins his journey. 34 years later and the man returns to the monastery and tells the monks the sacred numbers and the monks tell him he is now a monk. The man asks what the sound was and the monks led him to a dark room with a trapdoor in the center the monks opened the trapdoor and within is a spiral staircase that takes hours to go down. Once at the bottom they are in an ancient room with a wooden door on the wall. One of the monks pulls a wooden key out of his robe and unlocks and opens the door. The door opens into another room where there is a door made of ruby the monk takes a ruby key and opens the door. The next door is a door made of emerald and the monk opens it with an emerald key. The next door is made of diamond and the monk opens it with a key made of diamond. The next door is a door made with a material the man cannot describe and the door has strange murals drawn on it the monk takes a key made of that same material and opens the door and the man is amazed to see the source of that strange sound do you want me to tell you I cannot tell you you're not a monk. Story 3. A good story with a moral. The unlucky man once there was a man who lived in a beautiful log cabin. 
He seemed to have everything but was never happy. The man believed it was because he was unlucky but in fact it was because he was bored. One day he had enough and he went to a very old and wise woman to find out why he was not lucky. The old and wise woman thought about it and told him he must visit God and ask him that question. Where do I find God the man asked. Travel to the west until you reach the end of the world and there you will find God, said the old woman. So the man set off to find God and asked why he was not lucky. He walked for a day, he walked for a week, he walked for a month and he even walked for a year until he came to a clearing which was surrounded by wolves. One one side were these strong and vicious looking wolves. On the other was a small scrawny wolf. The man decided to walk towards the scrawny wolf. As he passed the wolf asked, where are you going I am going to visit God and ask him why I have no luck, answered the man. Interesting. If you find him can you please ask why I am not as strong and as vicious as my brothers? Asked the wolf. Of course. The man answered and he walked off. He walked for a day. He walked for a week. He walked for a month. He walked for a year until he got to a beautiful forest. The trees were vast and stretched far up into the sky but in a small clearing was a short leafless tree with wimpy branches. As the man walked by the tree called out, Excuse me where are you going I am going to visit God and ask him why I have no luck. Fascinating. If you find God can you ask him why I am not as tall and strong as my brothers? The tree asked. Of course. Answered the man and he walked off. He walked for a day. He walked for a week. He walked for a month. And he walked for a year until he came to a small blue house. Surrounding this house was a beautiful garden filled with vibrant colors and bright flowers. From inside the house came the most beautiful woman the man had ever seen. On seeing the man, the woman invited him in for dinner and to spend the night. The man agreed and enjoyed a wonderful feast cooked to perfection by the woman. As they ate, the man told his story and at the end the woman asked. That is a lovely story. If you find God can you ask him why I am so lonely of course I can. Answered the man. Then he went to bed. The next day he set off and walked to the west. He walked for a day. He walked for a week. He walked for a month. He walked for a year until finally he reached the end of the world. There sitting on cloud, fishing, was God. The man called out, excuse me, but God can you tell me why I have no luck? God looked up and said, you have all the luck you need. It is all around you. You just don't notice it. Be more observant and you will find your luck. This made sense to the man and he began to ask the other questions he had promised but God just raised his hand. There is no need to ask the questions. I already know what they are for I know everything God whispered the answers into the man's ear. The man thanked God and began to walk home. He arrived first at the beautiful woman's house and knocked on the door. The woman was overjoyed to see him and asked him for her answer. God told me why you are so lonely. You must get married. Of course. It makes sense. Will you marry me the woman asked the man. I am sorry I cannot for I must find my luck. But the first nice man I see, I will send back to you, answered the man. With that he continued home until he reached the beautiful forest. The small tree saw him and asked for his answer. The reason you are small and have no leaves is because buried beneath your roots is a chest full of gold. It is blocking you from receiving nutrients. Of course, 
That makes sense. Please, some workmen left shovels over there. If you dig up the chest, you can keep the gold inside, said the tree. I am sorry, I cannot, for I must find my luck. But the first strong man I see, I shall send back, replied the man and with that he continued on his way home. He reached the clearing of the wolves and the small scrawny wolf asked him for his answer. The reason you are small and scrawny is because you do not eat enough. You must eat the first big stupid animal you see. And the wolf did. Story 4. A story that I tell campers every time I have a chance. Pretty scary. If I do say so myself there was a Russian man named Isaac. Who went on a trip to Alaska with his two sons. Boris and Maxim. The sons were very fit and young. While the father was in his 50s. And had retired from the army. The family had just gotten back from their greatest feat climbing MT Everest, and went to Alaska for the opportunity to do some research on wildlife in the area. Isaac, the father, went off on a three-day trek heading north in order to map out some of the territory for their studies. Upon returning, neither of his sons were at the cabin they were sleeping in. This was normal, as they were probably out setting traps. Isaac went over to his son, Boris's bed, and took a nap. He woke up, around 9pm local time only to find out that his children had still not returned. Isaac sat up, examining his surroundings. He saw nothing out of the ordinary, and he went to check outside to see if they had left the house for some reason. He saw nothing but the white of the snow. However upon returning, he noticed scratch marks on the door. Getting worried, he shut the door, leaving it unlocked in case his son showed up late, and went to look around inside the cabin. He noticed Maxim's journal he had been keeping, sitting on a desk near the beds. He went to pick it up, and noticed that it ended two nights ago. Flipping quickly to the end, he read Maxim's writing explaining that something was knocking on the door, and he went to go see who it was, expecting that his father, Isaac, had come back early for some reason. The journal ended there. Isaac grieved over the fate of his children, until he realized something. Whatever it was that took them away or killed them could still be out there. Isaac immediately jumped up and ran to the door, locking it. He had read in the journal a few lines prior that it was near midnight. Looking at the clock, he saw that it was almost 11. One of his friends was going to show up to pick him up three days from now. So he decided he could just simply wait until help arrived to find his children. Isaac decided he would sleep with his gun, and not answer the door if whatever it was came knocking. At midnight, the knocking began. Maxim, Boris, is that you he yelled. There was no answer, and instead, the knocking became banging. Isaac jumped up, and filled with anger, picked up the shotgun and fired it into the door. He heard an inhuman shriek, and smiled satisfied. He would see what it was in the morning. In the morning, he checked his doorstep to find absolutely nothing. He went back inside and tried calling his friend with the helicopter. However all he heard was static. That night, the knocking began again, and Isaac jumped to his feet, firing a shot into the door. The creature started banging, and, seeing the door starting to give in, Isaac fired another round into the door. He heard the shriek again, and went back to his bed. There was a snowstorm the next day, when the crew was meant to be picked up, and Isaac was fearful he would be stuck here for days more, if not weeks he was running out of supplies, and there was the creature to worry about. He waited until night, and the storm never let up. He went to sleep with shotgun in hand, like always, and awoke to the knocking. Filled with rage, Isaac stood up and ran to the door, 
firing three rounds through it. However, instead of hearing a shriek, he heard a yell. He threw the door open, only to see he had shot his friend, the pilot, three times in the chest. He quickly looks around him, expecting the creature to attack, but hears nothing but high-pitched laughter from somewhere in the distance, and sees nothing more than a shadow. Story 5. My favorite scary story. X post from scary stories there once was a beautiful and young girl in high school. She wasn't all that popular and she didn't have any friends. There was this group of girls that was exceptionally mean to her, though she really didn't know why. There was a fire drill sometime in the spring and the group of mean girls were in the same class as her. When they walked outside and by the road, the group of girls spotted an open manhole. The leader of the bunch concocted a plan and told the others about it. As the rest of the class lined up they surrounded the girl and started to insult and push her back. She was so far back that she didn't hear the teacher start roll call. She is usually called close to the last name so they had time. The girls pushed her down the hole and walked away. As the roll call dwindled, the girls started to laugh harder and harder. As the teacher called the young girl's name, the group of bullies busted out laughing. The teacher asked what was going on. She fell down the hole. The leader said trying to suppress a giggle and failing. The teacher rushed over and saw her. Her face was looking at them even though her back was turned away. On the way down her face was scraped off as she fell against the ladder and the impact broke her neck. The cops asked the kids in the class what happened and none of them saw anything. When the cop asked the group what happened, they all said that she was walking and didn't see the hole and fell in. Later that night the leader of the bullies was getting ready for the night and bid her parents good night. She didn't have any dreams that night. At around midnight she woke up and couldn't move. She didn't recognize where she was. Then she heard a blood chilling scream. She looked around as much as she could and saw something running towards her. The police found her body in the same sewer as the bullied girl. Her neck was snapped and face torn off. The next night another one of the girls was found the same way. Three days passed and each was littered with the death of someone that bullied the beautiful young girl. Legend says she will keep killing her bullies. Story 6. The little boy in the car This is an account of something bizarre and completely mental that happened to me a few years back when I got my first car. I was 20 years old and after much reluctance to get some driving lessons I finally gave in. Growing up I had always been more of a cycling man and as far as I was concerned there wasn't any place I needed to get to that wasn't in cycling distance. Yes I was a moron. It was only after losing out on a job I desperately wanted because they required you to have a valid driving license that I finally saw sense. Still makes me laugh now as the job was in office administration. A position of course that didn't need me to drive as far as I could see but I don't make up the rules I guess. So shortly after passing my test my father surprised me by giving me his own Ford Mondia. I was so surprised by this kind gesture as I was always aware of how much he loved the car. It's that car Bond drives in Casino Royale he would mention time and time again. How can I afford the insurance on an engine of this size I asked my dad, being careful not to sound like I wasn't thrilled with the gift. Oh it's fine I'll pay the insurance if you promise to be my chauffeur whenever I need a lift home from the pub because I'll be two shit faces to drive he said proudly. Needless to say I was completely overjoyed. I spent my first few months driving anywhere, even to places that really didn't require me to drive. I would often make short trips to the corner store and of course I would spend time chauffeuring around the old man as was stated in our deal. I hadn't realized how many hobbies both my parents had until I had to drive to them. 
Some time later I applied for and got an office job at a business park just outside of the city. I loved this as it meant I got to drive through country roads on my way to work each morning. There's nothing quite like driving past farmland with your windows down while listening to a little John Denver in the early hours. The music choice was partly because my father left his CDs in the glove compartment and partly because I dig the classics. As with most things though the novelty of the car began to fade as my responsibilities grew. I still loved to drive but it was mainly to and from work only as I lived in the city most things like shopping or meeting up with friends was within walking distance. We're now coming to the reason I'm writing this story and not meaning to sound cliche but it all started like a relatively normal morning. I woke up at 6am to the sounds of birds chirping and after a quick shower and breakfast I was already sat in my car at 6.45 fiddling with my phone's bluetooth. I had been given a kit by a friend the night before where he stated I'd be able to play music from my phone via the car's radio without using an aux cord but I was failing miserably. No matter how much I tried the bluetooth just refused to connect and I ended up settling on another one of my dad's CDs. As I pulled off the dual carriageway I took a junction that led out into rural countryside. I could breathe a little easier now as I was out of the city's early morning congestion. I still had 20 minutes of drive time so as with most mornings I cranked up the radio. As I sat there listening to Annie's song and watching as vertical white bars disappeared under the car's bonnet. Something caught my eye in the car's rear view mirror. Right behind my passenger seat sat a little boy with a red cap. He just sat there staring out the window absent-minded. He looked so bored and normal. I know that's a weird thing to note under the circumstance but it's what I remember thinking at the time. He looked so normal sitting there that after my eyes locked on him they shifted back to the road. It was only after a few seconds that I came to the stark realization that I don't have a kid admittedly I did something you should never do while driving but fortunately for me I was heading down a long stretch of road. My head snapped around to the back seat. He was still there only now his gaze had shifted from the window to me. He looked startled and confused. I guess I must have looked the same way to him. He wore a red cap that sat atop brown curly hair that stuck out from the sides. His eyes were blue and his face was full of freckles. Going by his outfit he looked like he was either going to or leaving a football game. After a moment of us both looking at each other I started to notice he was very afraid and before I could register anything else I remembered I was driving a damn car. I quickly turned the correct way to find my exit was quickly approaching. I looked back to my mirror. Where did you? I began to shout but stopped when seeing the back seat completely empty. My heart was racing from the fright so I pulled over to his side of the road and got out of the car. I took a few deep breaths and proceeded to walk around the car and even inspect the back seats until I was satisfied that there was no sign of a child ever being back there. I wasn't sure what idea scared me more. That a child really had been back there or that I had been hallucinating. The prospect of having hallucinated was a very frightening prospect. It had never happened to me before and I was pretty damn sure I hadn't taken anything I shouldn't have. As I stood there in the cold February breeze with the sound of traffic behind me I tried to rationalize what had just happened. You see before any of this had happened to me I was always a septic and didn't believe in the paranormal so it wasn't long before I reached the conclusion I had some sort of mental episode. When I got to work it became apparent that my mind was elsewhere. No matter how many times I attempted to be productive I couldn't stop thinking about the kid. If he was indeed an hallucination why him? 
Why so much detail? It wasn't too long before my supervisor stopped me in the hallway and asked me if I was feeling alright as, according to him I looked a little shaken and not myself. I didn't tell him what had happened but I asked if I could go home as I wasn't feeling well. He obliged and I quickly got my things to leave. As I made my way outside to the entrance I breathed in the early morning air. It was cold but I liked it. The cold was sharp enough to keep me grounded when I felt like I was losing my mind. I slowly made my way across the car park to my Ford and before getting in I walked around the car a few times again. The car was completely empty. Maybe he sneaked in before you left this morning my brain tried to rationalize. But it was to no avail. Then where did he disappear to it interjected. I finally got the courage to sit in the driving seat and put my seat belt on before taking out my phone and calling my mother. After a few rings she answered. Hello hi mum it's me I said quietly. Oh what's happened she asked. I began to feel tears in my eyes. Ever since I was a child my mother has always had the ability to know when something was wrong even when I tried my absolute best to sound fine. How did you know something was wrong I laughed a little. I've just had a feeling all morning like something bad was going to happen and you sound upset she finished. Well I think I might be unwell or something. I hallucinated this morning. I saw something while driving I can't explain I admitted. It's funny what happens when you give voice to what's worrying you. I felt a weight lift off my shoulders a little as I uttered the words. There was a pause before my mum spoke again. What did you see she asked cautiously. I'll tell you when I see you I'll head on over if that's alright. Should be about 20 minutes or so I finished. Okay love I'll put the kettle on she finished followed by a click and dial tone. I smiled and wiped the tears that had accumulated on my cheek and put the key in the ignition. After about 5 minutes I began to feel more at ease. I had driven along the same stretch of road where I had seen the boy earlier and nothing happened. Another 5 minutes and I'd be back in the city and on my way to my parents house. Just then my heart sank completely. Who are you asked the young voice behind me. I have never felt so much dread in all my life. The sort of dread you feel in the pit of your stomach. I suddenly went numb as my gaze began to shift leaving the road. Up over my dashboard and up to my mirror. The boy sat in the chair with his seat belt fastened. His hands folded in his lap and his bright red cap beaming a Coca-Cola logo. His look was one of confusion and fear as he stared at me through the rear view mirror. Just then as my stress was about to reach breaking point I decided it best to pull over again. This time I made as much effort to do so while still keeping my eyes on the little boy. The car came to a halt in a lady of a surprisingly empty bus shelter. Thank god I thought. Last thing I wanted right now was an audience to the unraveling of my mind. I turned to find the boy still sitting there, choosing my words carefully and shakily asked. Where did you come from the boy's eyebrows lowered before his reply. Where did you come from where's my dad he asked. It was a legit question. Perfectly reasonable under the circumstance but a question of course I couldn't answer. Just then I noticed he was starting to cry. This felt so wrong why was my hallucination sat here crying to me. Just then a hefty dose of reality hit me in the form of a loud horn from an approaching bus. I looked to my side mirror to see a very pissed off driver giving me the sort of look you wouldn't give your worst enemy. I looked to the back seat to once again find it completely empty. Okay it's official I thought. I have lost my fucking mind the sad realization washed over me depressingly and I thought it best before anything else I complete my journey to my parents. 
As I entered my parents' home I was relieved to find both mum and dad sitting at the kitchen table with my cup of tea at the ready. But before I could even think about reaching for it my heart broke. I started crying. A grown man crying in front of his parents. I felt so much shame in myself for breaking this way and in front of them. My father walked over and put his arms around me. Hey come on lad he quit trying to be chirpy. Your mother has told me what happened he admitted. I sat down in the chair and wiped my face. It happened again on my way home. I think I'm seeing things I said grimly. As I sat there drinking my tea and relating the worst morning of my life to very concerned looking parents I noticed that my mother kept looking to my father. Specifically when I mentioned the red cat. When I finished my story I felt calmer. More at ease but then again I am British and it's amazing what a good cup of tea can do for the mind and body. My mum spoke first. Son, I think you might not be hallucinating. She said reassuringly. I mean yes if it carries on happening then we go see a doctor but there's something your dad should probably tell you first she finished looking to my old man. My father looked at me inside and then back to my mother. He even has the same coat he laughed in what looked like disbelief. Mum gave dad a stare and his attention was quickly brought back to me. What are you talking about I asked looking over at my quilted burgundy coat that was now hanging on the side of my chair. Back when I was young my father, your grandfather used to take me to football practice every Sunday he said this with a smile as he remembered. I already knew this story. My dad played football well into his late teens before meeting my mother. One day on my way to practice I had fallen asleep in the back of the car. I had a late one the night before you see so I was knackered he looked at my mother again for reassurance and she nodded. When I woke up I found myself in someone else's car he said again. What I asked in shock. I remember being so terrified. One moment I was there watching my father drive. My eyes started getting heavy and the next thing I know this strange man is in front and we're driving somewhere I had never seen before he took hold of my mother's hand and squeezed it. It had happened three times in total and your grandparents thought I dreamt it after falling asleep in the car. Thought it was just my imagination but it felt so real he finished. I could believe what I was hearing. This entire ordeal sounded like something out of the twilight zone but I could see it in my parents faces and my father's tone. This wasn't a wind up. This was a serious discussion. What did the man look like I asked. While having a feeling that I already knew the answer. Well I was only 8 years old at the time. The memory has faded somewhat but I do remember what his coat looked like he finished by pointing at my coat over on the chair. That's all for today folks. Please like and follow for more compilations or independent stories like this.